Good morning. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the incredible privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us today, let me start by saying welcome. And then let me give you real quick the four things that we are about here at Victory Church. We call them our four G's, about growing, guiding, giving, and going. We want to help people grow to know God, guide people to freedom, help people give out of their purpose, and then go and make a difference. And this month, I really want to take just a quick second and highlight our giving value when it comes to giving out of your purpose. And so every week, I want to take a moment and I want to highlight a different ministry that happens in Victory Church where you can get involved and serve and minister. And I want today, I want to highlight it for a special reason, but one of the ministries at Victory Church is V-Kids, all right? That's our ministry for our kids. Go ahead and give it a shout out real quick. V-Kids is both, we have both the nursery and the elementary, and a lot of the Dream Teamers are in here today. They serve on different rotations, and I want to take a moment, I want to focus on V-Kids Elementary, okay? Uh, And here's why I want to do it, is because if I'm correct, our elementary directors are in church today. Am I right about right there? All right, here we go. Samantha Q, stand up real quick. Stand up for a second. Come on, church. Come on, church. We love you guys so much. We appreciate everything you do. Listen, right now there's a team that's serving and leading. You're like, well, who's watching our kids? Don't worry, they have built up a team, and that team that's going to listen or watch later in the week, thank you, thank you, thank you for serving. Uh, Q and Sam are some of the best leaders I've ever met, and their team is incredible. And every week my kids come home talking about what they've learned, and I keep hearing that it's the funnest ministry in the church to serve in. And so my plan is to resign from head pastor and go serve in V Kids, and so y'all be ready for that. Um, But but I do want to encourage you, if you're in here and you're not already on the dream team, you say, man, I really want to make a difference in somebody's life. Is there any better way to make a difference in somebody's life than a young person, right? Than a student, a, a kid who's growing up, right? We can, we can get to direct their path that they go. And so I want to encourage you, as you heard Malcolm speak about Growth Track, go check out Growth Track. Go through GrowTrack, learn about our church, join the dream team, and then you can serve with those incredible leaders and a bunch of other incredible leaders impacting kids every Sunday. Amen? Amen. Can we give it up one more time for our V-Kids Elementary team? (laughs) Again, those of you that are serving today and you listen online, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for what you do. Amen. You ready for the word? Hey, if you got your Bibles, open to the book of Genesis. It's the first book in your Bible. G-E-N-E-S-I-S, right there, you open it up, boom, there it is. And go ahead and turn to chapter 37. 37, as you're flipping there, let me just explain. We're in a series, as Pastor Brian said, called Dream Again. Uh, We introduced it last Sunday, and we believe that God has put a dream in our hearts, and we're encouraging uh, you and ourselves and everybody to dream again. And so last week, uh, as Pastor Brian said, we gave you a journal, and we gave you four questions to go ahead and consider throughout the week. The four questions were, what dream has God given you? So, so what is that dream? Uh, then, so, so, you can, so hold on, I don't, I don't want to put those answers up yet, but um, I'll just read them through here. So what, what dream has God given you? And then what does it require of God? And what does it require of you? And then what does it require of others? And so that's, that's what we kind of encouraged you to think about all throughout the week is what dream has God given you? What does it require of God? What does it require of you? And what does it require of others? And hopefully you got the opportunity to uh, think about it, maybe even write it down and put your answers down. How many, of you, how many of you thought about it this week? Just raise your hand. Let me know if you thought about it this week. All right, it was a few of us that you kind of processed through your mind. I was going to give you my answers today, but I want to give them to you next week and, and you'll see why. But um, I, I hope you really get that time to process it. And, and today, I want to talk to you about what happens when you decide to speak that dream, when you decide to acknowledge it, write it down, 
there's something that you're going to face. I want to talk to you about that, but before we jump into it, I want to catch you up in case you weren't here last week on Joseph and where we are. So Joseph is the son of Jacob and Rachel, and Joseph is known as Jacob's favorite son. Okay? He's his favorite son because he had him with his favorite wife, and it's a whole long story. And not only is he his favorite son, but he gave him this multicolor robe that he could wear, and it kind of was a sign of favoritism that it showed everybody he was his favorite son. And according to the scriptures we read last week, God gives Joseph this prophetic dream. And this dream, when he explains it, comes off as if his brothers and his father and mother are going to bow down to him. And so the Bible said that his brothers hated him even more. And so that's kind of where we caught up. Joseph has the dream. He speaks the dream. And the Bible said his brothers hated him even more. So now we move on, and the brothers have gone to work in the family's uh, business, tending to the sheep. And Jacob sends Joseph to go check on his brothers, and that's where we're going to pick up in uh, Genesis 37, verse 17. And so if you're looking at it, we're going to pick right up. Sorry, Josh, I skipped all those questions, so you can just go on to Genesis chapter 37, verse 17. We're going to pick right up, and here's what it says. It says, uh, but they saw him in the distance. So it talks about how he goes to look for his brothers, and he finds out that his brothers are in Dothan, and that's going to be important. We're going to come back to a minute. And then it says, as they saw him in the distance. So Joseph is walking up. They saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So Joseph is coming up to his brothers in Dothan, and his brothers see him before he gets there in his multicolor coat, and they plot to kill him. And here's where they say that statement we talked about last week. Here comes that dreamer. They say that to each other. And then watch this. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. And then there was a part, depending on what verse you're reading or what uh, type of Bible you're reading out, where there's a part where they say, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. So, so they plot all that, and then they say, we will see what becomes of of his dreams. And that's what I want to talk about real quick this morning is I want to talk to you about dream killers. Every time we start to speak our dream or believe in our dream, we can guarantee there are going to be dream killers. People who say, we'll see what will become of your dream. As confident as I am that God gave each and every one of us a dream, I am equally as confident that there is something out there trying to kill it. But here's the deal. Your dream is unique to you. Your dream is unique to you because God created you in a unique way, and then he had that dream to match up. So it's unique to your culture, and it's unique, unique to where you were born, and it's unique to your talents, and it's just unique to you. And as much as your dream is unique to you, I also believe that the dream killer is going to be unique to you. In other words, the thing that's trying to kill my dream may not be the same thing that's trying to kill your dream because it's unique to who we are. But the more I study it, the more I look at the life of Joseph, and the more I break it down, listen to me, I believe every dream killer falls into one of two categories. Every dream killer, if you told me right now, this is my dream killer, if, and then somebody over here told me, this, I believe we could find a way that it would fall into one of two categories, and here they are. Categories number one is this, pressure. Pressure. Again, those scriptures said that the brothers were in Dothan, okay? Now, they're not supposed to be in Dothan. Dothan is not where they're supposed to be. In Dothan, Joseph's family had had uh, trouble, problems with Dothan. So they're somewhere they're not supposed to be doing something they're not supposed to be doing. And the Bible says, here comes Joseph. And Joseph's in his multicolor coat, and his brothers already hate him. And he's walking up, and they know about the dream. And because his presence is getting closer to them, they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing, and they know he's had a dream, there's all this pressure going on. 
There are pressure points. Let me walk you through some of them. One of the pressure points going on in that situation is comparison. His brothers are comparing, comparing themselves to him, and he's comparing himself to his brother. Another pressure point would be fear. There's fear from his brothers because they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing. There's fear from Joseph because he's not sure why they hate him. There's doubt. There's insecurity. There's all these pressure points. And hear me, one of the most common reasons I believe that our dreams die, or better yet, that some dreams are not even born, is because of the pressure that comes with our dreams. If you have a dream, I have a dream. If you have a dream, you can guarantee that pressure is going to come with it. A couple weeks ago, I was praying uh, in my, my morning quiet time, and I started to pray for Victory Church, and, and you'll hear more about this next week when I share the answers to uh, what, my, what I feel like the dream God's given me, but I, I have a real passion for this church to be uh, an influential church in Smyrna, Tennessee. Um, I got a lot of things that I'm asking God for and, and a lot of impact that we're wanting to do in the community and to see people saved and different things. And so uh, we, we had some of our best numbers in July. Uh, July, an average number of our church was very high for our church. And in most churches, July is kind of a low month because people are traveling. And so as people learn that, people would start to tell me things like, man, August is going to be great because, you know, people are coming back from vacation and getting back into their routine and you're going to see growth. And, and we, outside of Easter Sunday, we had not broken 200. We had been close, but we had not broken 200. And so last Friday and Saturday, I found myself in my prayer time wanting to pray and ask God that we could crack 200. I wanted to pray that. And it was funny because I'm kind of, those of you that know me know I kind of walk the gym and pray. And so I'm walking and praying. I'm wanting to pray that. But watch this. Every time I went to speak it, I felt this pressure. Like every time I went to pray that, I just felt this pressure. It, it was weird. I'd go like, God, you know, school's back. And, and man, we, we, this was happening in July. And I just want to, and like as soon as I'd start to say it, I'd feel this pressure. And I'd kind of like retreat from doing it. I did end up praying it. But the more I thought about it, here's why I think I had the pressure. Because once you speak your dream, once you pray your dream, you are now vulnerable because there's an opportunity for disappointment. The moment I spoke that, now there's the opportunity for it to not happen. If I don't speak it, if I don't pray it, then I'm not coming here expecting it, right? If I don't tell you about it, then there's no accountability to it. And so if it doesn't happen, it's just inside of me. It's not somebody going, well, I thought that was your dream, and I thought we were believing for this. And so what we do when we speak it is we put ourselves out there and make ourselves vulnerable for disappointment. And I think that's the pressure that a dream brings. It's got to come true. Is it going to happen? When's it going to happen? It doesn't look like you said it was going to look, and there becomes this pressure. And here's what I know about pressure, and I think you'll agree with me, is we all face it every day. If you're a parent and you're in here, there's a pressure on you to be a good parent. There's a pressure on you to raise your kids to be godly. There's a pressure on you. You compare yourself to other parents. There's a pressure on you. You fear sometimes that you're not doing a good job. There's a pressure on you. You have these doubts that maybe you're not going to be able to raise them up the way you, or that maybe they're going to go out and do something that you wouldn't. There's a, there's a pressure. Last night at about 1130, I'm standing in the hallway of my house having an intense conversation with my nine-year-old as she tells me that I just don't understand her life, right? And I'm like, sweetheart, let's talk, you know? Um, and so I'm processing all this with her, and she, you know, we didn't really get to an agreement, and she went to bed, and I'm in the bed, and I'm laying in the bed, and there's all this pressure. 
God, am I doing this right? I don't know how to do this right. You know, why did you, why did you trust me with an offspring? Like, you know, haven't you seen me before? Don't you, didn't you see my record? Like, what is wrong with you? And there's just all this pressure, amen? If you're married, there's this pressure to be a great spouse. There's this pressure to, to provide, and there's this pressure to satisfy, and there's this pressure to affirm, and there's just this pressure to be what they need. If you're a student, there's a pressure to make good grades in school, and there's a pressure to get a scholarship, and there's a pressure to know what you're going to do for a living. And if you got a job, there's a pressure to be able to balance your finances. And it's just, there's just constant pressure. If you're on social media, there's a pressure to get likes, and there's a pressure. It's just constant pressure. And so here's why I think we don't want to dream, because the last thing we want to do is to have some crazy dream that's going to bring more pressure. I don't need more pressure. I got enough. And now you're telling me I need to have this big dream that's going to bring all this pressure to succeed and all this pressure to make that come true? I don't want it. And it made a lot of sense when I read Psalm 118 and I watched the psalmist write this. When hard pressed, I cry out to the Lord. When, when there's pressure, I just cry out. God! <laughs> when, when I feel hard pressed, I can't help but but cry. My, my kids, they, they love to wrestle. And, and they always are the ones to start this because obviously, look at me, hashtag gains, right? I can tear them up. And so, sorry. Uh, and, and so they're always the ones to kind of start this. And so here's what will happen. I'll be sitting on the couch, you know, just got home from work or whatever it is. And they'll run on, and literally this happened the other day. Casey Ray was jumping on the couch looking at me. She was going, wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. She was doing her, I'm like, wrestle, wrestle. I was like, fine. And so we start wrestling. And here's the problem. My kids learned how to wrestle through WWE and WWF. I didn't let them watch it, but somehow they subliminally downloaded it into their culture. So to them, wrestling means pinching. They can pinch. Wrestling means they can slap me. Wrestling means they can kick me. And at some point, they went from like, oh, that kick didn't hurt to, man, that kick kind of hurt. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all are there with your kids? And so we'll be wrestling, and there's just so long that I can take before I'm like, all right, this has got to stop. Like, you're going to end up hurting me. And I have learned that all I need is two fingers. All I need to be able to do is just be able to grab just like this. And my favorite spot is right above the kneecap, all right? I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you, parents. Let them smart off to you again, okay? And so you just, you just apply some pressure right there. And it's, 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 I, call it, uh, I call it a hickle because it hurts a little bit and it tickles a little bit. So it hickles, you know what I mean? You can just kind of get them right there. And it's funny because they ball up. Like they'll be like, oh, ee! and they just go into the fetal you know, formation and, and they're done within seconds. And here's what they learn. They learn that they could say a tagline and that tagline would mean I would stop, all right? So let me tell you their taglines. Beta's tagline is, I can't breathe. <laughs> Think about this. I have her knee. I'm not on top of her, okay? So she, she, can, she just knows that if she says that, daddy's going to stop because he's not sure if she can or not, all right? And so she said, I can't breathe, all right? Casey Ray's line is, you're killing your child. <laughs> so she says, you're killing your child. I mean, with that, no emotion, just you're killing your child. Like, that's just, that's just what it is, all right? And so here's what I've learned. Because they know I'll stop, watch this. The second I touch it, so I don't even, I, I, just a little bit of pressure, just, boom, I can't breathe. I'm like, wait a minute. 
I got barely, you're killing your child, you're killing your child. They just learn that they have that tagline, and as soon as they feel that pressure, they cry out, and it stops, right? Listen to what the psalmist says. When I feel that pressure, I cry out. Stop! I don't want it! (laughs) Back up! I want to dream, and I want God to do great things through me and in me, but the second I start to feel that pressure, I cry out! Stop! It's a dream killer. The second you start to feel that pressure of comparison and fear and doubt, insecurity, you just, you know what? I just won't do it. I just won't do it. And I know pressure has killed so many dreams. So that's the first category. And you can, as, as you're walking, you're probably going to be processing all morning your dream killers, the things that have tried to kill your dream. And you'll see how many of them fall into that category of pressure. Here's the other category, people. So the first category is pressure. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I don't want to stop short. I doubt that I can do it. I'm worried. That's the pressure. The second category is people. Verse 24 through 28 says, Then they, they being Joseph's brothers, took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And Judah speaks up and he says to his brothers, Judah was another one of Joseph's brothers, what profit is there if we kill him? (laughs) We don't get any money if we kill him. We just get rid of him. So why don't we come and sell him to the Ishmaelites and now we can get money. So the brothers pull Joseph out of the pit. They lift him up out of the pit. And the Bible says that they sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. That's 20 bucks for us. They sell Joseph for 20 bucks and they take him to Egypt. So watch this. Joseph's dream killers are people, and worse worse than that, they're people he loves. See, sometimes the people who try to kill our dreams are people that we love. And sometimes it's people that we don't even fully, or sometimes those people don't even fully understand what they're doing. I've told a story before a little bit. Before Darla and I moved here to, to help, you know, to try and plant Victory Church, two of our friends, people that we had dinner with, people that we hung out with, they, they were going around to other friends telling them that Victory Church wasn't going to make it. They were telling them that three months in, Darla and I would move back to Memphis, and it, it just, the dream wasn't going to happen, which was insane to me. <clears throat> I couldn't understand why somebody was trying to kill my dream. You know what I mean? Like this, These were people that we had had over to our house, and we had had dinner with, and yet they were going around trying to kill our dream. Listen to me. There are people who are lining up to volunteer to kill your dream. People, literally, lining up to kill your dream. Here's why. Because dreams are one of the ways that God speaks to you. And you better expect the enemy to send somebody who will try to shout louder. God is speaking to you through your dreams. You can do this. This is going to happen. We're going to do this. And we are fools if we don't think the enemy has already assigned somebody to come and try to speak louder than our dreams. And sometimes the enemy's using people who don't even know they're being used. So I want to show you just a few ways that the enemy uses people to rob us of our dream. Number one is this, rejection. When we get rejected by people, verse 18 says they conspired against him to kill him, which means his brothers came together, talked together, and then turned around and rejected him. So they, they united, and then they rejected Joseph. 
Hear me. There are people that are going to reject you as you try to pursue the dream that God's put in your heart. I love this thought. People who regret their lack of faith will always reject the abundance of yours. Always know that. People who are upset that they didn't step out like you're going to step out, they'll always reject you. The enemy will always place people just in the right place to reject you and make you think that the whole process isn't going to happen. But God likes to do that to prove it was his dream, not yours. Because one of the best ways to know God's hands is on it is when stuff happens despite how many people try to reject us. Right? One time, this is the best story. Uh, so, so Mia, so, so there's a couple that goes to church here, friends with, and their daughter Mia is friends with Veda, and she came over to spend the day with us and all that, and it came time to take her home. And uh, Darla was getting Veda ready for bed or whatever it was, and so I was going to run her to her parents' house. They live about three minutes from us. And so I got in the car to take them over there, and Casey Ray said, can I go? And I said, of course you can. So I put Casey Ray in the back seat. So in the back seats, Casey Ray, my four-year-old, and Mia, Mia's about, I don't know, eight or nine, and, and maybe older, I'm sorry, and, and, and we're driving to their house, okay? So I'm in the front seat, and I don't have any music on because I want to be able to hear what they're saying, and it's completely silent because Mia doesn't talk very much. So it's completely silent. We're driving down Old Nashville Highway, and Casey Ray's not talking because she has a, pen, a penny, and she's obsessed with her penny, right? She's checking out her penny. And so, I mean, it doesn't take much, right? And so we're driving down, and, and all of a sudden I hear Casey Ray go, hey, Mia, do you want a penny? To which Mia, being very sweet, said, no, no thank you, Casey Ray. I have one at home. And then there was a silence, and this is all I heard. Complete silence, and I heard, rude. I was like, what? Yeah. So, so my four-year-old offered her penny, and when her penny was rejected, she was like, here's what I pictured. I couldn't see her. I pictured her just playing with the penny going, rude. You know what I mean? Like, and if you know Casey Ray, you totally get that. And so listen, here's the point. There are people that are going to reject you. They're just rude, right? That's just what they are. Move on. You're nothing against poor Mia, but look, you just don't need them. Move on. Those people are rude. Don't worry about it. Don't let the rejection stop what God's doing in your heart. Amen? Next is this, offended people. You're going to offend them. Verse 11 said his brothers envied him. They were offended by his dream, so they resented him. Watch this. I'm going to give you revelation that you probably knew, but you didn't know you knew. Your dream is going to offend somebody guarantee you. They don't know why. You don't know why. They will just be offended by your dream. And here's the reason I think. You ready? Because your discomfort for some reason makes them uncomfortable. They just can't stand it. Whoa, 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 what are you going to, what are you going to, I watched people I love get offended that we were going to move here and plant the church simply because my discomfort made them uncomfortable. But how are you going to pay your bills? I don't know. Well, where are you going to live? I don't know. Well, who's going to come? I don't know. Guess what? It's God's dream, not my dream. So I can't answer any of that. But the fact that you're offended by it just proves that it's God's dream. There becomes this offense that people take up. And for some reason, instead of wanting to talk it through, people just walk in that offense. And I'm telling you this. Feel free to pursue them and help work out the offense, but do not turn your back on your dream. Last is this, betrayal. I thought this, I'd never seen this verse like this before in verse 28, but it was pretty interesting. It says they lifted him out of the pit and they sold him. So here's what I was picturing, right? Joseph's in the pit, said it didn't have any water in it, and they come and start picking him up. And I think he thinks, oh, this was just all a joke. 
Like, ah, this is, y'all crazy. Y'all so crazy. Like, I thought you was going to, I thought you was going to do it. I thought I was going to be dead. You know, and they get, they get him out, and they're like high-fiving. And he's like, oh, this is so cool. My brother's like, my brother's crazy. And then all of a sudden, here comes the Ishmaelites, and they're like, nope, here you go. And I just, I just felt the betrayal for him. Like, could you just, wait a minute, what? And there's just this betrayal. Hear me. Your faith needs friends. And what the enemy wants you to do is to find yourself in a situation where you experience betrayal with one person so you won't trust anybody else. And if he can get you to do that, if he can get you to start getting in a place where you can't be vulnerable and you can't trust other people because somebody else betrayed you before, you will forfeit your dream because your faith needs friends. And the enemy is using people to try to rob your dream. And this is why I've always said this. It's important who you surround yourself with because you're going to literally shape your future by the people you surround yourself with. So it better be people who support you. It better be dream catchers, not dream killers. They better be able to get it and, and, and believe in it and, and be all for it. They might not be able to pay your bills while you're going through it, but they're sure going to pray and clap for you in the process. You see what I'm saying? That people will come and rob you of your dream. Dream killers. Here's what I think every dreamer at some point has to understand. That on the road to your dream, you are going to experience obstacles that will try to block you from experiencing your dream. I was thinking about this. I started processing the life of Joseph. I started looking at chapter 37. 37, you see both pressure and people. Watch this. Pressure is the pit. Pressure is the favoritism. That, that's the pressure in 37. And the people, that's, that's his family. So in chapter 37, you see a blockage, a roadblock, we might say, to his dream. And then, we're going we're gonna to read more about this next week, but then in chapter 39, there's another roadblock. There's more pressure and more people, but it's different this time. And 39, the pressure is a false accusation. We're going to look at that next week. There's a woman that he works for who accuses him of something he didn't do, and there creates pressure on him. The, the people, the person is Potiphar's wife, the woman who does it. So once again, he has pressure and he has people. And then, that's verse 30, or chapter 37, this is chapter 39. Then in chapter 40, there's another blockage. And once again, it's pressure, and it's people. And this time, the pressure's prison, and he gets put in prison for the false accusation. And then he comes in contact with people. It was a baker and a butler of, of, of Pharaoh, and, and he interprets their dream, and they end up forgetting about him. And once again, he's dealing with pressure, pressure and people. So in 37 and in 39 and in 40, he has all these blockages, towards his dream. God gives him this dream in 37, and then all he tried to do, you ready? All he tried to do was experience the dream. And all of these blocks come. Family tries to kill him. False, he gets sold into slavery, false accusation, prison. All these different blockages come in the way to his dream. And here was my problem. I started thinking about what we said last week and the fact that it was a God-given dream. And the fact that Joseph didn't ask for it, and here was my tension all week with God. If he didn't ask for it, why are you allowing blockage? If it's your dream, God, then why are you allowing this to happen? Because if it's your dream, 
shouldn't the path just be wide open? Isn't that what we think? Man, if this was God's idea, I'd be able to just walk right through to it. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he was just a 17-year-old chilling, playing Fortnite. And then God drops this dream in his heart. He doesn't fully understand the dream, but he knows it's from God. And the second he speaks it, the second he speaks it, here comes all these dream killers, one by one by one by one. And as I was praying over this series months ago, I'm like, God, you give us this dream. I'm, I'm going to be looking at people in their face who you've given them a dream. And the moment they spoke it or even the moment they thought about speaking it, they were reminded of all the dream killers. You'll never be able to do that. You don't have the finances to do that. You don't have the faith to do that. They won't support you. That'll never work out. All these dream killers, one by one by one by one. One of the things I want you to do this week is I want you to open up your journal to the other page, and I want you to write the words dream killers. I just want you to write dream killers. Put a line, and I want you to list everything you can think about that's trying to kill your dream, everything. List everything of it. That's what I want you to do this week. And so I'm thinking about this, and then watch. As I'm praying about this, here's what the Lord told me. He said, but did you notice that the blockage that was in 37, 39, and 40 didn't stop the dream from happening in 45? I was like, yes. I didn't really think about it like that, but, but you're right. The blockage that happens in chapter 37, chapter 39, Chapter 40 doesn't stop the dream from happening in 45. And so I thought to myself, what does that matter, God? And he reminded me of verse 4 and 5 in chapter 45, all right? Watch this. Check this out. This is Joseph. Now, let me set up the verse, okay? Because now we're 13 years in the future. From the day Joseph got sold into, sold into slavery, this verse we're about to read is 13 years later. He was sold into slavery at 17. He's 30 years old when he's the prime minister of Egypt, okay? So he's the prime minister of Egypt. He's making decisions for Egypt. There's a famine in the land, and everybody is dying because they don't have food, and they don't have water, and they're desperately looking for somebody to help them. And Pharaoh, the gentleman who Joseph now works for, is the one who has all the food and all the water. So his brothers travel to the land, and they go into where Joseph is on the throne, but they don't know it's Joseph. And they walk in with the goal of pleading for food and pleading for water. Watch this. They don't know it's Joseph, and they start right in front of him, they start regretting what they did to Joseph. They start getting all upset, telling the story, man, I can't believe I said that. Can't, let, me, let me give you a little, a little side note. When your dream is in full motion, the people who tried to kill it will regret that they let the enemy use them to try to kill it. There'll be a day where they look at you and say, I'm sorry. I should have believed in you. I'm sorry. So these guys are in front of Joseph, and they're just, they're just, I mean, they're so broken. And you got to see what Joseph says, so powerful. He says, says, then he said to him, watch this, I am Joseph. <laughs> I was imagining that moment. I'm a little theatrical. So I'm kind of imagining him being like standing up like, I am Joseph. And they're like, what? You know, he's like, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. In case you think I'm another Joseph, I'm that Joseph. And they're all upset, but watch this. Oh, it's so powerful. He said, but now, right now, maybe then, 
if you would have said all this, it would have. But now, don't do this. Because don't be grieved. Don't be angry at yourselves that you sold me here. Watch this. For God sent me here before you to preserve your life. Watch what Joseph says. Joseph says, hey, don't get angry that the fact that you tried to kill my dream because God used you to get me to my dream. He's saying, look, don't get mad. Don't get all upset because you thought you detoured me from my dream. It was you that God used to direct me to my dream, all right? Here's what he's saying. You ready? He's saying, don't worry about the fact that maybe the enemy tried to use you to block my dream because God used you to build my dream. And so now what you tried to do to block my dream, God has used to build my dream. And if it wasn't for you trying to detour me, I would have never been able to get here in the first place. And so I'm not angry at what you did. I'm just happy that God used what you did. Think about this. It's so powerful. Joseph starts to realize something. Joseph says, ooh, I had to get to Egypt. I wasn't in Egypt, and I had to get to Egypt, and somebody was about to kill me, and Judah spoke up and said, sell him, to, sell him into slavery. And it just so happened that here came the Ishmaelites, and if it wasn't for me being sold into slavery, I wouldn't have got to the Ishmaelites. And it just so happened that the Ishmaelites were going to where Potiphar's house is, and had they not been going to where Potiphar's house is, I wouldn't have got to Potiphar. And if I wouldn't have been in Potiphar's house, I wouldn't have met his wife. And if his wife wouldn't have tried to come on to me, I wouldn't be in prison. And if I wasn't in prison, I would have never met the baker and the butler. And if I wouldn't have met the baker and the butler, I wouldn't have interpreted their dreams. And if I wouldn't have interpreted their dreams, Pharaoh would have never come looking for me. And if Pharaoh wouldn't have come looking for me, I would not be sitting right here to be able to see my dream right in front of my face. You understand what I'm saying? Whatever the enemy tries to use to block it is what God uses to build it. You don't ever get angry. You don't get mad. You don't regret. You don't worry about it. Don't worry about the pressure. It's the pressure that creates wine from the grape. It's the pressure that creates the dream outside of you. The dream that's in you, that's the pressure that gets it out. The person who tells you you'll never do it is the person that moves you to. Don't ever get angry about dream killers. Because what you call dream killers, God calls dream willers. Band, come up here for a sec. I love that when we dream and we're looking at this road of obstacles, we serve a God that only knows how to triumph. We, we serve a God who only knows how to take obstacles and build bridges. I thought about you so much this week. thought about you leaving out of here last Sunday and, and maybe maybe the Spirit of God spoke to you and, and you were really passionate about your dream and I thought you know what Monday morning's going to come and you're going to come face to face with some dream killers people pressure it's going to do all it can 
to try and kill that dream. God wants to use it to build it. And so here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to take that book, flip over the page where you answered the questions, and I want you to write dream killers, and I want you to list them. And it may be two, three, might be 30. I want you to list them. When you're done listing them, I want you to go back to the beginning of the page. I want you to mark out the K in dream killers, and I want you to write a W that says dream willers. And then I want you to begin praying, God, show me how you're going to use these things to build my dream. God will use the one person who's against it to be the one who funds it. God will use the one thing that you're worried about, the biggest fear you have, to be the very projection for that dream. Because it's God's dream. And everything is working the way he intended it to work. So watch this. Jamal, come right here. Stand right. I want you to be right here close to me because we're about to scream in a minute. So walk with me on this. Oh, this is so good. Do you love, do you love the Bible? Man, it's so good. Joseph ha- has gone through slavery and prison 13 years. Now he's on the throne as the, as the uh, prime minister of Egypt, and his brothers have come in. The Bible says that he reveals himself, and they're broken, and he gets down, and he hugs them. The Bible says he asks about his dad, and he asks about his little brother, and and they go and get his dad, and they have this great reunion, and he provides for them, and there's just this beautiful moment. And I pictured what I'm about to show you happening like this. You've probably seen it in a movie before. I pictured Joseph. He's in it. They're hugging. They're crying. Everything's great. And Joseph walks away for a moment. And they're still kind of high-fiving because they just realized their life got saved. And so they're kind of high-fiving. I see Joseph go back. He sits on his throne. He sees his family. He knows what happened. And then he speaks Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Watch this. You intended to harm me. You dream killer. You intended to harm me, but God, say, but God, but God intended it for good. You intended to kill me. God used it to will me. You intended it to block me. God used it to build me. For what now is being done, and watch this, the saving of many lives. Your dream results in the saving of many lives. Believe me. 146 people have given their heart to Jesus since we launched Victory Church 18 months ago. Your dream is a result of saving of many lives. And there's not a thing in this world that can kill that dream. Would you stand with me for a moment? Do me a favor, just close your eyes. And I want you to start thinking about some of those dream killers right now. Just start, come on. Your mom, your dad, boss, brother, sister, friend, some relationship you had, finances, fear, insecurity, doubt, experience, past, comparison, whatever that dream killer is, I want you to think about it. You got it in your head? Think about it. Go ahead and get it in there. 
we are about to make a declaration. And that declaration is the same declaration that Joseph made. And it's this, what the enemy meant for evil, God, you turned it to good. What the enemy means for evil, some of you, you need to sing it more in the present tense. What the enemy means for evil, God, you will turn for good. I'm going to pray, and when I get done praying, I want you to start declaring that in every ounce of energy you have, that whatever that dream killer is, God's about to use it to will that dream. Lord, we thank you right now for who you are, for your faithfulness, God, for your word that's still alive and moving in our hearts and in our lives. I thank you for the dream that you put on my heart. I thank you for the dream that you put on every person in here's heart. I thank you that what the enemy meant to block it, you used to build it. What the enemy meant to detour it, you used to direct it. What the enemy meant to kill it, you used to will it. What the enemy meant for bad, God, you meant for good. And we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. Lord, we worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah.